Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dead and Married. I'm Travis. And I'm Ashley. And this week, in our final uh, Hashtag for London episode, we're talking about Rob Zombie's The Lords of Salem. <laughs> Sweetie I <Christian>. just said, <laughs> note to self, don't say Salem's Lot, and I almost just said Salem's Lot anyway. I saw the look on your face. Fuck, I'm about to say there Salem's Lot. There was that Lot. moment of panic where I was like, fuck, I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, yeah, Lordy. so this movie came out in 2012, and I remember it being really long. It's an hour and 41 minutes, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel that long. I was going to say, maybe it felt long the first time because you weren't really interested? It It's felt long just about every time because I have fallen asleep <laughs> in the middle of it, and then I woke up and it was still going. <laughs> but this time, when I actually watched it all the way through, it seems to move pretty, pretty quickly for a nearly a two-hour movie. Okay. So, not too bad. Not too bad at all. Anyway, uh, being a Rod Zombie film, did I just say Rod Zombie? I think you said Rod Zombie. Now I can't talk. Being a zombie movie. uh, That doesn't work either. (laughs) Yeah, words. Anyway, uh, Rob Zombie's films are divisive, I guess. Yes. Eh, Not even really. You love them or you hate them. Yeah. For the most part. And the ratings reflect that. So on Rotten Tomatoes, it's 47%. So half the people like it, roughly, and half the people don't. And it's the same on IMDb. It's a 5.2 out of 10. So I got to say, this is probably the only one of his we've watched so far that we've talked about that I kind of I like it. Wow. That's, yeah. that's growth on your part. It is. It's growth. <laughs> like a wart. <laughs> but... Yeah, it was. It's it's interesting. So, okay. What was it? What do you remember about the first time you saw this film? Uh, goodness, this was. I can't remember if this one had a theatrical release or not. I feel like it didn't. I feel like it was. It was very limited. I think it was kind of like thirty one. Yeah. Thir- thirty one had a very limited and very short theatrical release. Yeah. Um, I I know that the kids were very little. As a matter of fact, Isabel wasn't even born yet. Um. I do remember that I think I was in the middle of repainting one of their rooms because I remember watching it on, I think, pay-per-view when that was still a thing in one of their bedrooms while I was painting and feeling like super, super uncomfortable because the first time I watched this, I think I was kind of still in the middle of my am I religious, am I not kind of thing I was always going back and forth on before I became quote-unquote woke. But uh, I remember watching it the first time feeling like I was watching something that I wasn't supposed to be watching and going, I'm probably going to hell. Like within those first five minutes thinking, I'm going to hell for watching this. That's it. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Now, I watch it and I'm like, I really need a group of friends I can do this with every Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, um, I think e- even though I felt that way the first time I watched it, I still really, really enjoyed it. And I remember thinking overall that it felt so different from anything of his I had watched up until that point. So if this had been... If this had taken place after 31, I think I might have went, there's hope for him as a filmmaker. Maybe, you know, this is where we start to, you know, go on the upswing of things, you know. And then when the Munsters came out, I remember even feeling the same way then. Like, oh, he's being handed something that's a big deal, you know. Maybe we're on the upswing of things. And then, no. (laughs) 
it, which is, is really too bad because in my opinion, this film is his magnum opus. I mean, that's that's just my opinion, but yeah, you think so? Yeah, I do. Okay, okay, yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Um, as far as his films go, I don't know if this is his magnum opus or not, but I, I haven't been real. I haven't kept it a secret that I'm not a huge fan of like Houses of a Thousand Corpses. Um, I remember Devil's you Rejects, liking Devil's Rejects, Devil's Rejects for a long time. Is probably the best one of that trilogy. The last one I saw at one time. That's all I needed. <clears throat> Keep in mind that my um, sister's probably going to be listening to this. And hey, your sister has horrible taste. <laughs> so next time I'm she comes down to visit, she will pull off that chancla and she will chase you around the backyard. I'm I'm fast for big boy so <laughs> and up and down the street. <laughs> I'm I'm quicker than I look. I'm just saying. She better be Crocodile Dundee with that fucking sandal. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, the third the third installation, I just didn't. And then he did Halloween, and I thought, okay. Like, just that, he, that they gave him Halloween, I thought, maybe. Maybe he's... Uh, getting the kinks worked out, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe he's he's getting getting his hands on a, a major piece of film history, so maybe he's kind of getting his sea legs or whatever. And then I watched the movie, and I was like, he didn't. <laughs> well, here's the thing. He was given stuff like Halloween and the Munsters because, if nothing else, he does have a very distinctive style and aesthetic, and he has a way of directing that makes him brilliant. Rob Zombie's problem has always come down to writing, the writing part of it, you know, because it's it's nothing visually. Everything he does visually is fantastic. I don't feel like he had such an issue with the writing in this, but he did have someone helping him on this one, and I don't I don't have the name in front. Well, of Well, he, he did on the novel. I don't know if he did for the screenplay oh, well, itself. Could be, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. To his credit, I will say this. It feels like he just makes the movies that he wants to make, and he could give a fuck if you like it or not. Yes, which is exactly why I'm an apologist. Even though I don't necessarily care for his films, I can appreciate him being like, yeah, it's my body, I'll do what I want. Yeah. I mean, he goes full Eric Cartman with all of his films. I mean, and if you don't believe me, go watch The Haunted World of El Supervisto. (laughs) It's a cartoon he did. Uh, and it's just batshit crazy. Yeah. But anyway, this was the most serious one that I'd seen from him. The Munsters, I did watch The Munsters. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. And that was like a staple of my childhood. And I think I think it's just because it wasn't Fred Gwynn. I think that's the problem. It's not because it was horribly acted? Well, yes, but it was horribly acted because it wasn't Fred Gwynn <laughs> as Herman Munster. Uh, it was, I don't know. I just didn't, it didn't do it for me. It, the The flavor was too different compared to what I had as a child, I think. But anyway, I guess to get back on topic, this is a more serious film. Not that the other ones weren't serious, but they were serious about gore and being as trashy as is possible for a human to be on screen. <laughs> um, this It starts off, the first half of it's a serious film. Like, it's got an actual story, and the characters are good, and his wife is in it, and he lets her just act, which was kind of nice. She's not a caricature, which I found some out about that. So or I guess when he was still doing White Zombie, it was right before he went solo or whatever's when they got together. And she did the like costumes and choreography for them. So she wasn't like a groupie necessarily. Um, but she had actually gone to school because she wanted to do voice work like in cartoons and shit, which is why Baby's voice sounds the way it does. It's why she sounds like a cartoon character because that's what Sherry Moon was wanting to do, was do voice acting for cartoons and stuff, which if you watch El Superbisto, it fits in that context. But she doesn't do that. She's written as, you know, more or less a normal person. 
uh, everyone in here is not the most absolute white trash person that you can imagine in your life. I don't know. The characters are actually likable. All of them are, really. I mean, I don't know about the witches, but, <laughs> you know, all your, your main characters, they're all likable people. The chemistry is good. The acting is reasonable. I, I mean, then it goes off the rails totally in the back half of the film. But um, it doesn't go in the same direction as, like, 31 or House of a Thousand Corpses. It just turns into an art piece, more or less. Um, I feel like it's a lot of style over substance on the back half. So... Okay. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting to look at. I will give him that. He's very good visually, uh, but I think sometimes his when he's when he's shooting for these really impressive visuals that he is able to accomplish. I think sometimes he loses the story in the process. So. Well, speaking of the story, before we get into that, uh, if you haven't seen The Lords of Salem, check it out. You know, before we spoil the, the hell out of it here in the next few minutes. And if you have seen it, don't care, whatever. Uh, Travis, you want to get into cast and crew? Well, I mean, I guess if we have to. <laughs> I mean, you're looking at a whole itinerary right in front of you. I, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So as I mentioned, it stars Sherry Moon Zombie as Heidi Hawthorne. She's our main protagonist. Uh, Meg Foster plays Margaret Morgan. Bruce Davison plays Francis Matthias. Jeff Daniel Phillips plays Herman Whitey Salvador. Judy Geeson plays Lacey Doyle. Patricia Quinn plays Megan. Uh, Ken Forey, always awesome, plays Herman Jackson. Dee Wallace plays Sonny. And Maria Conchita Alonso plays Alice Mathias. She plays uh, Bruce Davison's wife in this film. Mm -hmm. So we've also got a couple of cameos by Michael Berryman and Sid Haig. And they are credited as Virgil Magnus and Dean Magnus, respectively, although I don't know that it ever says their names. You know, and I think that the fact that he was limited to a cameo also showed restraint on Zombie's part. Because normally, those actors are his main characters. So, always. Andrew Prine, and I have, I've never seen him before, uh, was cast as Reverend Jonathan Hawthorne. And I could totally see Sid Haig in that role. I'm honestly surprised that he didn't cast him in that role as like the sadistic witch hunter. Mm -hmm. I mean, he could have been basically Captain Spaulding, but a Baptist. I don't know. I don't, I don't see but that. Sid Haig pulled off those like really severe characters. And I feel like he could have done it. And I'm he, honestly surprised he didn't cast a buddy in that role. He did. But at the same time, I don't think Sid Haig has the type of proper I don't know. He doesn't strike. He's not going to sound like a New Englander. Yes. Or a, a Quaker. Yeah. A pure where the Puritans. It was Puritans. I don't think it ever said. Yeah, he doesn't he, sound like a reverend unless you're in the South, in which case, yeah, he totally does sound like <laughs> many of the preachers down here. But anyway, I just I agree with you that it showed some restraint that he didn't cast those two in larger roles, Sid Haig specifically. Mm -hmm. And so, the fact that Bill Mosley is not in this at all. That's a first. Right. I think ever. <laughs> um, there are a lot of ladies cast in this and they have names, but these ladies just looking at the photos play the witches mm -hmm. in, in the, they're sort of the background characters and they're never actually named. Right. He gave them names in the script, but you don't, if, if I name this is the actress and this is who they played, it's not going to, it's not going to help. And a couple of them looked really familiar too. I felt like there were a few of those ladies I had seen in other things, but I couldn't quite yeah. put my finger on it. Yeah, it could be, but I don't know, I found it interesting instead of, because most places or most films, they would have just been witch number one, witch number two, which, you know what I mean? Right. But they didn't. They, they actually gave them, gave them names. Torsten Vogues plays Count Gorgon, <laughs> and that guy looked familiar, and I kept thinking, you know, if they'd cast the guy from Demon Knight in that role, it would have been better. This uh, guy did a good job. He, if, I don't know if you remember, he was also in 31, 
there was, I forget which head they were, but it was the really huge German guy and then E.D. E. Daly from yeah. Uh, yeah, Rugrats little, fame. The little bitty, yeah. Little bitty lady. Yeah. Yeah. So John Five was in this film. He plays Halvard the Guardian. Piggy D is Butcher Olaf. So, yeah. Don't know any of those characters because they're not actually named in here. Somebody that did, that I was like, oh shit, I know that guy, was Michael Seamus Wiles. He plays Jared Perkins. He's one of the, the, the husbands when they're playing the music in the beginning because mm-hmm. he's like at, he's like at a pizza place or whatever and he's in the kitchen and the wife goes and she's Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I saw that guy. I'm like, I don't know who that is, but I know that guy. Uncle Jury. Sorry. What? Sons of Anarchy. Um, he yes. was also in Fight Club, and yes. uh, he was in yes. Breaking Bad. And is yeah, this a test, sir? He's a he's a that guy actor. Like yeah. you see him in so many things, he's you're like, hey, it's that guy. Always in the background, and you're like, I know that guy. Yeah, actually, he's in one of the Hellraiser movies too. So yeah. So anyway, Clint Howard was apparently in this. Um, there was, from what I understand, there was a there was a scene that had featured more of Sid Haig and Michael Berryman and um, Clint Howard. This was it was a, there was more footage of them and the witch's demise, and I believe all that stuff got left on the cutting room floor. Ah, uh, okay, okay, but yeah, so that's the cast. It's actually a fairly large cast if you're just looking at the list, but there's not that much screen time for them. I mean, for the most part, out of this cast of what 50 people, you're really limited to three, four people. Because mm, maybe got, I'd you, say 10 at least. Cause, no, because you've got well. You, yeah, but I'm I'm talking about in terms of people that get major screen time. You got the two Hermans, you got Sherry Moon, yeah, and Davison and his wife. She's not on screen that often. Ah, uh, that's that's fair. She's probably only in two scenes, maybe yeah. three. My point is, is that really Sherry Moon is like she's the main character. She has a lot of solo screen time, and mm-hmm. I think she did pretty well as a leading lady. I think she did too. I'm not. I mean, we'll talk about acting here in a little bit. Um, but I, yeah, in terms of her filmography, I would say this is probably her her better work. Indeed. So, how do you feel about the story overall? It felt the, the story's fine. It felt familiar, and I don't know why. Hmm. I think it's Hocus Pocus, uh... the Disney film. Because the Sanderson sisters were, what, killed or whatever, and they cursed the town, and then they came back, and they were going to kill everybody in the town. And that's basically what this movie is, is Hocus Pocus, but serious. I don't think so. I think so. <laughs> I don't think so, I think, no. I think so. <laughs> Except it doesn't have Sarah Jessica Parker in it. But D. Wallace does play <laughs> Sarah Jessica Parker's character, if that was the case. But the story feels familiar. It, it, it does, and I don't I don't know why. Hocus Pocus is the one I thought of, because when you get the three witches, and it was like, so that one's Bette Midler, and that one's... <laughs> oh Lord, have mercy! But anyway, story's fine. It's it's fine. It's it's probably okay. Yeah, it's just all right. It's just all right. I mean, you said spoilers, right? Yes. So it's a pretty basic premise: the witches were persecuted by uh, Heidi Jonathan Heidi, Hawthorne, yeah, Heidi Hawthorne's great 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 not so great grandpa. And There's another they, great. Yeah, and they cursed him, cursed the town or whatever that the women would all die, and that Heidi Hawthorne would. Uh, be the mother for the Antichrist or the vessel to bring him into the world and then it happened I guess that if you were going to say that there was something that that stood out is that this is it's kind of a mean film because the good guy doesn't win at the end Mm -hmm. so that is something kind of unique about the story all the stories where it deals with like some curse or some evil somebody's trying to bring back the devil usually the day write it where the devil doesn't win but in this one they kind of did so and your main in your lead character dies and she dies poorly like mm-hmm. in a bad way mm-hmm. at the end of this so which is sad because you do feel you feel bad for her i mean she it's written well enough that there is sympathy for her 
mm-hmm. you know, especially by the time you get to the end of the film, because she's completely confused. She has no idea what's happening to her. And so, yeah. Anyway. Okay. What do you think about the story? Uh, I actually really, really like the story. I think that Heidi, the, the, the whole story is a very tragic story. Um, like you were saying, it, it is very mean-spirited, and your hero doesn't win in the end. And Heidi is a very, like I said, very tragic character. And, and I actually did read the novelization of this a while back, and I really enjoyed it also. Um, it goes into a lot more of Heidi's backstory and, you know, how she became an addict and what her frame of mind was, why she was trying to get sober. So it makes me watch the film in a new way now where I feel like she's even more sympathetic. So having all of that, yeah, she's not somebody that deserves these things happening to her. And like you said, she has no idea why they're happening to her. And to me, it works on two levels. Yes, she is is cursed from the actions of her forefathers. You know, I'll, I'll get into more of it in a minute. But then it works on this other level as somebody who is struggling with being an addict. So you have... She's go. Is she going crazy because of this curse that has happened to her, or is she struggling with her sobriety? So it kind of works on the two levels. And then, meanwhile, she's having these horrible, horrible hallucinations and nightmares. And um, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but I really, really felt attached to her character and felt. A lot of sympathy and empathy for her which is not something I have ever felt really for any character she has played maybe outside of the mom in Halloween because I would say that was her other kind of serious slash sympathetic role just in the first one though um right yeah 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 um and it is one of those stories that at the end you know nobody wins well except the witches if you're on the side of the witches they win um, it, to me, it was a story that stayed with me for a little bit. So I, I was happy with it overall. Yeah. I just figured out what movie it reminds me of. Okay. It's Ernest Scared Stupid. Oh my the troll, God. The troll cursed the town. And then he, <laughs> when he came back, he was going to like take all their children and turn them into wooden dolls. And this one, the, the witches are going to kill all the women. And br- yeah, that's what it is. I don't think Rob Zombie modeled think, this after any children's films. I think pretty much any <laughs> any movie that deals with a curse and someone coming back, that's what's in my head. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because normally, I mean, it's it, we have tons and tons and tons of films where witches are evil, but you don't necessarily get them as evil, I think, as we've seen here, unless I'm just not that versed on witch films. But this was the first time I had ever seen one where they weren't comedic or it, w- it wasn't lighthearted. It was they really were worshiping the devil and doing some awful fucking shit. So there's only two films that I can think of where witches are not portrayed as being misunderstood. You know what I mean? Because usually it's like, ah, they're not really that bad. They're really Wiccans and there's good witches and bad witches and the good witches win at the end. I'm thinking like the craft. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But the only two I can think of where it's just mean. It's like, yes, they're witches. Yes, they worship the devil. They're going to eat your baby is this one and the witch. Mm-hmm. Because right. these are the only two I can think of where they're straight evil. Yeah. And, of course, the one called The Witches, which is also a children's film where they turn that little boy into a mouse. But <laughs> you see what genre I go to. 
because they were pretty fucking evil. But yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Most of the time, they 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 don't go the dark route with them. Mm-hmm. But in this one, they totally did it. Yeah, to, for me, this this had a gut punch of an ending. And you know me, I those are the type of endings I live for. So I was really happy with with everything. Yeah, I really want to talk about the acting, but before we do that, we need to talk about special effects. Hey, it's our show. We can go in whatever order you want. Yeah, we'll do special effects first because I feel like we'll both we both have some things. You know what? Fuck it. We'll just do acting first. I feel like the witches being evil, Meg Foster's what sold that. Yeah. Her performance. She made the movie because if she had got it wrong, it wouldn't have worked. So let's talk about Meg Foster for just a second, okay? You and I both grew up with her. And if you're around our age, you probably did too. Because Travis and I both grew up with her as being Evil Lynn. You know what she looked like as Evil Lynn. As Masters of the Universe. And for other people, you know, maybe it was They Live where she was still, or Stepfather 2 or 3, where she was still young. And she was obviously a beautiful woman. She kind of looked very similar to Kirstie Alley maybe a little bit I can see I think it's the Um, eyes yeah Um, but you get to this movie and this was the first thing I had seen her in since probably the stepfather and I was like holy shit is that evil Lynn like damn and I'm not trying to be ugly I'm really not so before we we go off the deep end and and sound shitty and all that stuff we're not shaming we're no 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 People there, there are a lot of actors, age. actresses out there that they uh, they go they do a lot of cosmetic work or mm-hmm. Botox, and then you every now and then you have an actor or actress out there that choose not to. They're like, no, this is just this is just what happens, and right. I'm I'm going with it. I'm just going to age naturally. And she has, and I I'm down for it. I'm not going to get a bunch of shit done. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> say, l- listen, I'm not trying. I wasn't trying to be ugly. It sounds bad. I was just simply saying that I didn't recognize her. I didn't either. when I first saw her. I did not either. Like I had to. I had to do a double take. Yeah, and I think a lot of that had to do with the the makeup that they had her in. Mm-hmm. It was. I say makeup. All the witches in this were just dirty. Yeah. Like not like. Um, rub a little dirt on their cheek dirty either mm-hmm. like like they got on the ground and rolled around in the like mud they've dirty. been dipped in shit and rolled in breadcrumbs <laughs> dirty i mean it was just layers of filth and i can't imagine what the makeup process must have been like to go mm-hmm. through that it was it was bad and i will say that these actresses were also brave because they were doing that in like completely nude they, yeah they were also completely naked um for most of the film because I, I will say this about rob zombie he can't seem to have one film where there's not at least one nude person well in this one he had probably two dozen yeah <laughs> a lot lot of nude there's people. a lot of boobs in this film <laughs> but yeah i mean it was it was a i can't it, it had to be tough had to be tough and I know they filmed some of this in California, probably on a soundstage or whatever, but there was a good portion of this. All the, all the exterior scenes of Salem were filmed in Salem. Right. Um, so that makes me feel a little bit better because at least when they were naked, hopefully they were warm. Because <laughs> uh, I can't imagine shooting this because it looked like it was probably in the fall in Salem. And that would have been so cold, yeah. probably. Mm-hmm. I mean, cold for us. It might not be cold for them. But you know, it gets below about mm, 60 degrees down here and we're like, it's the end of the world. Mm-hmm. We're all going to die. So, but no. Anyway, so acting. I think Meg Foster acted her whole ass off. And the taking taking them as a serious threat all hinged on her performance because you don't get much from the other witches. Right. And I feel like this was Sherry Moon's very best performance that I've seen from her mm-hmm. so far. There there are a couple of moments where it's like, hmm? 
you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe we should have done a take two on that. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, she does it. I mean, I, I was impressed. I'll just say I was impressed. Yeah. she. There were a couple places she was a little wooden, but I don't... I've always been one of those people that when people talk about what a horrible actress she is and, you know, why does Rob Zombie feel the need to cast his wife in every single film? I'm usually, I argue for her instead of against her because, I mean, there, it's, he wouldn't be the first guy who has put his wife in his films or any medium that he's doing. You know, and I was actually a little irritated because I I seen I seen I saw a post on Facebook where somebody's argument was okay, but Mike Flanagan puts his wife in everything he does, and somebody said, yeah, but she can actually act, and that really annoyed me to no end because I was like, that's not fair. She probably, I mean, to my knowledge, she didn't want to be an actress to begin with. It was not. I mean, I know you said she wanted to be a voice actress, but. She didn't want to do it in this medium. She's doing this solely because this is her husband. This is his work. She loves him. And obviously he loves her. So, you know, uh, people complaining about her being nude in some way in every film. Let the man love his wife. Is there, some, is there something inher- innately wrong with that? Hey, because you know I what? don't feel like there is. If I had a body like hers, I'd be naked all the time, too. <laughs> from, what, from what I heard, though, she does it. She's in those films because he wants her to be in those yes. films. Yes. It's not that she's looking to be, you know, the next, I can't think of an actress's name right now. It's just, you know, he wants to make the film and he wants her to be in it. So she does it for him. Yeah. So it goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning. He has never been a filmmaker that thought, oh, I'm going to be the next (gasps) Spielberg or anything like that. He just wants to make his art. And despite the the many people who don't like it, he does have a very, very strong fan base, myself included, and we are the people that he does it for, not for the masses. I don't. I really feel like. feel like if you if you had him where he's like just in charge of the visuals of a film, like if you had two directors, one that's responsible for like the acting and the technical stuff, and he was there as like the visual director, that would be pretty awesome because he's he's really good at that stuff. But we're talking about the acting. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Ken Forey was not in this film enough, I don't think. I would have liked to see more of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy that plays Whitey, I just read his name, can't think of it, so I'm just going to call him Whitey. <laughs> he was good in this, and I've seen yes. him in a few of Zombies' other films. Where he was not likable. Where he was not a nice guy at all. No, I'm thinking of, um, oh shit, <gasps> what's the third in the Devil's Reject trilogy? Three, from, Three hell. from Hell. Yeah, I did not like him in that film at all. I did not... I was. It was a mixed bag in 31 for me, because... While he does have scenes where he is a little bit more likable, namely him kind of stepping up to help the other characters survive is one thing. But he spent a huge chunk of that movie being a whiny asshole or a dick. And so this was the first one I saw him in, too, where I where I really, really enjoyed his character and wanted to see, you know, him prevail. I enjoyed the chemistry that that the three of them had because you get you get to see them a couple of times. Um Herman, Whitey, and Heidi, mm-hmm. all in, which it's Herman and Herman, basically. Right. Herman, Herman, and Heidi. But uh, the three of them together um, recording their show, and the chemistry between those three is fantastic. Yeah. I, I believe it that they work together. So Herman was another one that he had a lot more to do in the novelization. Yeah. Talking about basically how every time Heidi slipped, you know, back into addiction, 
he and Whitey were usually there to kind of pick her up and get her through and, and everything. Basically kept running every time she needed them to. And Herman was a big part of that. You know, they, they, we get a lot more of his perspective and how he's feeling in the book. Yeah. From what, just from what they show in the, in the film, though, the way Ken Forey acts it, it's almost like you've got Whitey, who is the love interest. So he, he wants to help her from sort of the perspective of a potential boyfriend or lover. I don't or think something it's like just that. that. Or, no, it's not that. They are friends, but there's a romantic interest from his and for Ken Forey you get more of like the the dad or big brother mm-hmm. uh, type of relationship between them but it works it works really well and I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that but specifically between Whitey and Heidi I feel like the chemistry between those two is really good I bought it that he was completely in, into her completely in love with her mm-hmm. and I would not have expected that actor to be able to sell me that but he did yeah I think maybe this is just the first time that he's been put in a position to have an opportunity to do that I don't know on her end, though, I ever got that she was in love with him. I know that she I says told you that later. You said... <laughs> I know that she says later that she is. Well, no, that's what I was telling you. You said she's not in love with him. And I was like, but she is. But not in the same way. But you don't. No, I mean, she is. She says that she is. But I just don't think from an acting perspective, I get that from her. See, well, I think that's it. From an acting perspective, I got that she likes him. They're really good friends, but she does not feel necessarily the same way about him that he does about her. Mm-hmm. He sold it that he was in love with her. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like she's, she sold more the, like, we're really good friends, but I'm not ever going to like him the way he likes me kind of thing. Even though she says she loves him, her acting didn't give me that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, but either way, I feel like the acting was really good for the first half of the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean... Again, again, it's 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 touch and go because there's like I, I had to laugh at even one of the witches at the very beginning because, you know, they're kind of going around in their little circle talking about how awful God and Jesus are. And they're all saying their little lines and you have what the younger witch, she just starts like screaming her line. Jesus Christ. And I was like, all right, calm down. Yeah, she's it's, doing the most. It's OK. She's <laughs> like, she's taking down <laughs> like we might have needed to do that line again. Right. <laughs> Not yeah. not as much gusto, please. It's like she had, ooh, no, never mind. I'm not going to say that. Um, but yeah, sudden unexpected outbursts from her. Yeah, I'm having were, trouble controlling the volume of my voice. Yeah. yeah. It's like, <laughs> like it, me. It was like that episode of South Park where Cartman was trying to pretend he had Tourette's. That's what it was like. <laughs> um, it was odd. It was, it was, it was really odd. But uh, and, and, uh, there, there were parts of this film where Meg Foster's performance, it was kind of like watching Christian Bale in Love and Thunder. Like the way she's acting it, it's like, did she get the same script everyone else did? How so? <laughs> I don't know. It was just so much darker from her side. And it gets there with everyone else later. But hers is like straight up end of the world from the very beginning. Okay. Um, I, would, I was really happy to see Bruce Davidson in this because... You know, we've seen him do a lot of high-profile roles, you know, starting with, like, X-Men and all that stuff, namely is what I remember. But every now and then, he does these independent films where I feel like him being there gives the the film more weight. I'm thinking of, of Dahmer specifically, where he played uh, Jeremy Renner's dad. 
Um, I like seeing him pop up in independent films like that. I, I don't know why. Travis doesn't like me using the G word, but I feel like when he shows up in an independent film, it gives it some class. It classes it up a little bit. Use your word. Gravitas. There you go. <laughs> you but it. yes, I, I feel like like he, he does bring some maturity to a role, I guess. See, I, did, I recognized the guy, but I had no idea who he was or where I had seen him before. Yeah. And the but longer the, hair and the beard worked for him. I, I got to say, as an older guy, that was, worked. He was Archangel's <laughs> dick dad in that X-Men movie, wasn't he? Uh, was it Ben, ben Foster? So. Ben Foster, so. he had the wings, right? Was it Ben Foster? No, that was somebody else. But he was the president or senator or whatever that got turned into... Yes. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, no, he. Yeah, okay. I don't think he was his dad. Yeah, I recognized the guy. I was like, I've seen him before, but I hadn't. I didn't know. Right. He and did good. He played his role well. I, I kind of bought it as him being... So, the guy a, that just wants to help. He wants to, he, yeah, he's trying to do something good, but he has no idea what he's into. Right. No. Yeah. He, he definitely bites off way more than he can chew. And well, they say as much. Yeah. Later in the film. Right. Um, and let's, let's talk about our witches for a minute too, before we move on. Um, I think all three of those ladies were fantastic. I can't ever say enough about Dee Wallace. I know that she has always been kind of pigeon-toed pigeonholed not pigeon toed what the fuck pigeonholed as that motherly type you know kind of starting with et and going up she's always been a mom in some capacity but i don't think she gets her due as being a scream queen because how many horror films has she been in throughout her career and i don't think that she has been giving given the same due as jamie lee curtis gets like i i think she is terrific as a horror actress yeah, and she the way she sold her role in this was creepy. So you had Megan, which was played by Patricia Quinn, and she gave me like Julia from Hellraiser vibes. Maybe it's just because she's British. Okay. But and maybe it was the red hair. But you, when you see her, she starts talking. You're like, okay, she's she's probably not nice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She's not nice at all. Uh, there wasn't anything. Nothing. No surprises. Travis has once again forgotten who that actress is. I think I've had to remind him a hundred times. Okay, remind me again. Magenta and Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, okay. Oh, I was waiting for you to go, no shit. Because okay. I think that's what you told me the first time. <laughs> what? Yeah. Because, she again, she's another one that looks completely different from... Which one was it that had the pink hair? Pink hair. Or, like, yeah. Okay, there was one blonde Columbia. hair. That was Columbia. That was blonde hair. Now I'm going to have to watch it again. Anyway, we're going to... No, 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 not blonde hair. I don't remember... Magenta was the maid, okay? Magenta was the maid. Okay. And Real, Columbia really? was, was sequins. Your, okay, your yeah. girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now I know who Columbia is. Okay. I don't want to explain things to you anymore. Let's keep talking. Okay. Okay, anyway. But she was another one that I was so used to seeing her in a specific role, being Magenta, that when I saw her in this, it felt completely different. And she came across as, like uh, Dee Wallace, for instance, she still had that kind of motherly, I'm your friend, you're safe with me type of thing. And Judy Geeson, Gleason, Geeson, Geeson um, yeah. kind of same thing. She was unassuming. You, you didn't necessarily get there's something brewing underneath the surface with her. But Megan, you knew from jump that she, there was something off about that woman. The second she was reading Heidi's palm and was going into stuff, you were like, oh. Well, that's, that's kind of my, where I was going with that, is that she was not the scariest of the three. And it's for that very reason. I feel like her evil was a little more out front than the other two. Judy Geeson, she's going to invite you in for a cup of tea. Right. 
seems like a super nice lady until she's not nice anymore. And then when she starts talking, you're like, I can't believe those words came out of your mouth. Did you just say cock? Mm -hmm. And (laughs) you know what I mean? Like she gets pretty intimidating very fast. Fuck her brain. (laughs) But Dee Wallace playing Sunny was the scariest of the three for me. And that's because she's still like happy and Mm -hmm. laughing and flirting and rubbing Bruce Davison's arm and then smashing his fucking skull in with a cast iron frying pan. Yeah. Like she just flips the switch. And she's still happy and smiling and smoking a cigarette while she kills you. Can I just say, I, I love that part where after she's beat the fuck out of it with the frying pan and then she just lights up a cigarette. It's, I'm sorry. As a woman, I live for those it moments. Was, she's pretty badass. <laughs> she's pretty badass. kind of hot. Yeah. But, not going to lie. <laughs> but it was still funny because in that, in that same scene, Patricia Quinn, Megan, she's like, anybody want a cup of tea? Yeah. Like you just murdered a guy with yeah. a frying pan. Yeah. And it wasn't fast. I love like, it. She was not swinging <laughs> that thing with, like, I'm going to get this over with quickly. She had to hit him a whole bunch of times with yeah. it before he finally died. And they're still like, ah, it's Wednesday, my dudes. Yeah. <laughs> they just, yeah, they're going to go get some, some uh, chocolate chip scones no, that are a little dry. But anyway, I feel like the acting from, yes, from all three of those ladies was pretty awesome. Yeah. They, uh, to me, they stole the movie. I thought they were, I thought they were great. Right. Okay, so circling back around to special effects, because it's our show and we do what we want. <laughs> what did you think about the special effects in this film? Um, I thought they were they were pretty good. Um, as far as, I mean, because I don't know if there's really many visual or digital effects. or I mean, they claim to not have used any digital effects at all. I don't know if I necessarily buy that. Um, but what they did practically, I thought was really good. Probably, I mean, especially since this was probably a lower budget film, um, what they did with um, the visuals of what people looked like, like you were just talking about with the witches being like disgusting, you know, dirty. This film makes you feel dirty. And yeah, but not in the same way that his Halloween did. No, it makes me feel dirty, like in a Hellraiser kind of sense, yeah. dirty. Yeah, not like I need to go get std test (laughs) anyway and then um the makeup effects like for the devil or what i assume is supposed to be the devil he's a creepy little dude and i know that they use the same actor that they use in um 31 as the little nazi clown guy and in three from hell he was the little mexican dwarf friend of the group um, so he didn't have any lines, obviously. He was just there to be in a suit and be creepy, but I thought he was very effective as, oh my God, what the fuck is that thing? <laughs> you know? Um, but really, how, I don't know. I'm trying to think of, of all the special effects off the top of my head, and the only other thing I can think of is the little lobster baby thing. And I'm like, how the fuck did they do that? Because uh, Travis says it looks like a mandrake root. From Harry Potter. It screams um, and everything. But I said lobster. I think it looks like a lobstrosity. Um, like how how did how did they do that? Because it looks like a visual effect. It doesn't. I mean, if somebody knows, please let me know. Because maybe it's a puppet. But I thought it. It. Yeah. I don't know how they did that. It was really cool though. Yeah. So I liked Sherry Moon's makeup. The oh film. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I feel like they did a really good job. So in in the very beginning of the movie, she, um, she looks fine. But then they <laughs> they well. Normal. I didn't want to. I didn't want to say normal, but she looks normal, right? And but as the movie progresses, they they change her makeup so she just looks more and more tired. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe she was really tired because of a shooting schedule. I don't know. 
but you kind of get there's a visual for the sort of the decay of her psychological state throughout the course of the film as she continues to have these weird ass dreams and visions and stuff like that um and then of course when she goes and buys her drugs there's that um but i don't understand the bump on her head she had like a cut or a a bloody spot on her forehead yeah she has like sores on her face and stuff later on like that happened fast Mm -hmm. (laughs) like if they're saying that's from drug use that happened like within like a two or three hour span that was yeah because this this takes place within it's six days yeah yeah (laughs) so she went downhill very fast (laughs) yeah um the one scene where whitey dies or she dreams that he dies Mm -hmm. because you had pointed that out to me the visual effect where the whatever mudman doctors (laughs) whatever those things are that were in that she was dreaming look like something out of silent hill yeah they touch him and then like and they cut away and so obviously it's just they put on makeup and popped in some contacts but i thought it looked really good i still think it was really cool yeah i think it looked really good um I don't necessarily buy the little clay plant monster thing with the battle rope wieners. <laughs> I don't. I didn't. I didn't care for the, the creature design in that. It doesn't. It's not that it wasn't done well. I just. I don't know because so the scene where she goes into the room with the red cross when she goes into room number five mm-hmm. and you see this giant looks like a fucking bigfoot standing behind her yeah and I thought okay that's him and we don't know we don't know that it's not maybe that's his final form it could be freezes final form. But then, you know, for that scene, you get the little mud man. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. They didn't make... They both looked... They looked good. I just... It, just from a story standpoint, I didn't... I didn't understand the choice. Yeah. But... The only one that I will say that I took sort of issue with was the baby. Because I know that part was meant to be offensive. And, oh my God, they took it too far to have this baby that's being spat on or whatever. Except... That that baby didn't look like a real baby. No. It looked, I mean, I've given birth three times. I know what they're supposed to look like. And that did not look like a real baby whatsoever. Um, it looked like, um, if you're ever going through your your uh, social media feed and you see those real babies that like jiggle and shit whenever you take them out of the box. Which I'm always like really weirded out by those ads because I'm like, why would somebody want a hyper realistic fake baby like the ones they give to kids in home ec class no they no they look more real than that they're really? they're really creepy hmm. but you could still tell that they're fake that's what this thing reminded me of and also because it looked as fake as it did i will say that the first time me and london sat down to watch this um and she picked up the baby and started spitting on it london just started laughing her ass off she was like practically screaming from laughing so damn hard and there was another witch there in the background going ay, 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 ay. and she just kept she was laughing even harder uh, so that like i said that was the only part i took issue with because i think it was meant to be so disturbing and so serious but because of this fake baby i could not take that part seriously <laughs> I don't care how realistically it jiggles. It looked like a little alien. (laughs) (laughs) It looked like a rubber baby. Yeah. (laughs) Because it was a rubber baby. Right. Um, What else? I feel like there was more there, but a lot of it was subtle. You didn't get a lot of big creature effects. This wasn't like a a creature feature or a lot of blood and guts and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. A lot of it was just blood. Like the end when she gives birth to the mandrake root. Um it's just blood. Right. You mm-hmm. don't see entrails or anything like that. So, I don't know. I feel like a lot of it had more to do with how it was shot. Because yes. Because it's kind of a dark film. Yes. Uh, and they use lighting really well. So, why don't you talk about that and how that complemented the special effects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So anytime I try to hype this movie up to someone, it's generally not to people who just like horror films. I try to hype this film up to people who love film in general because to me this is one of his most beautifully shot films that I've ever seen. Um, if you go all the way back to something like House of a Thousand Corpses, you can see that he obviously has a style and he has a very good eye for how a scene should be set up and what it should look like. But at the same time, in those early films, they felt very music video, I guess. There were so many quick cuts and um, filters and grain and all that that just, yeah, it gave it that music video feel. And to me, this one was the first time that... I watched it and I saw actual art with it. Now, again, I'm sure there's somebody out there that's saying, oh, well, he just ripped off this director and this director. But to me, I didn't, I didn't look at it as ripping off this time. Um, you can watch something like House of Thousand Corpses and you see Toby Hooper all over that. Like, it's painfully obvious how much that movie, quote unquote, paid homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But... This was one that while I'm sitting there watching it, not only do I see Kubrick in it, I also see Polanski in it, but then I also see him in it. You know, I felt like it was this amalgamation of different styles that made it work. And, it, and even though it looks newer than his other films, it still gives you that exploitative vibe too. This still feels very, very 70s, even though it doesn't, it is, it is more current, but it still feels like one of those satanic panic films. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. See, I, I thought Argento when I watched it. Mm -hmm. um, because of one scene with Red? Yeah. <laughs> thanks for that. No, I feel like Red's in this film quite a bit. It is. And it made me think about uh, Suspiria. Because mm -hmm. he used Red a lot. But yeah. I, did, I don't want to say a giallo film, but that whatever that style is, the Italian films, where they used a lot of bright colors. And the colors mm -hmm. had a meaning. And, mm -hmm. and I'm not smart. Ask Bill. He'll know. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, it, that Argento is what it made me think of. It also made me think of the film Altered States because William Hurt's character throughout is having these hallucinations and a lot of them are biblical hallucinations. And like there's a scene I remember where there's like all these goat heads with like a bunch of eyes and shit. I don't know. I've only watched it one time and that was enough. And not because it was a bad film, but because it was another one of those where I felt like I shouldn't be watching it. So I'm definitely going to have to give it another chance soon. Um, but this reminded me a lot of that. The hallucinations that Heidi is having made me think of his sensory deprivation trips. That was a very, very trippy movie. And I would, yeah, I would say that the last part of this film is, is very trippy. Yeah. I, so I had a, I don't understand some of those. It's clear that she's having nightmares, but some of those, is she, is she, because some of them happen while she's awake. Like it happened while they were, when they, when they played the song and it cuts to a, like a, a flashback of what the witches were doing when they did it in the studio. When they played when they played the song from the Lords the first time, mm -hmm. did she have the vision? Because she was awake. I mean, all the rest of the times when she has it, it's like a nightmare for the most part. Right. But, I mean, are we to take it that that was, was that scene for us? Or did she see it? 
mm-hmm. because I feel like if she was actually seeing all of those things that that zombie shows us through the course of the film she would have known more about what was going on and so some of those i feel like maybe the the song is doing something weird to her but maybe she doesn't see everything and that's the reason she still doesn't understand exactly what and why and all that shit so i don't know but either way i feel like they're well shot well shot um there's some really good angles and i know it's one of the ones of your favorite when she goes in room number five and she's got the red cross on the wall and it's the only source of light in the entire room Mm -hmm. it's really pretty yes that's a really that's a really pretty shot, and there's there's a few of them like that where they just it's just it's it's attractive cinematography. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that that's uh, you know we're gonna come up to favorite quote killing scene at some point, and I would say for me in this one, it's not so much those things as different shots. You know that I'm like, oh my god, I love this shot. I love this shot. I love this shot. You know, um, one of my favorite shots is actually the artwork for the film where she walks into a big, grandiose opera style room with the music swelling and she's wearing the makeup and the sweater. So for me, even if you're not a Rob Zombie fan, if um, it's iconic. The whole look of, of her and that room is iconic to me. Um, to me, that's that when I think of the film, that's what I think of. Um, let's see. And they use a lot of different artwork featured throughout the film. Like there's a scene where she's in her bathroom and I can't describe the artwork. It looks like a bunch of men in ski masks holding machine guns or something. And it looks so cool. I I love that shot. And then they start bleeding at one point. Um, there's another piece of artwork where it's like a little girl with a leash with rats leading her. Um, and then we have a couple of scenes where there's different rats or or different scenes of rats running out of a room. So I had wondered if that tied into that somehow. And, um, and I was telling Travis too, like different props that they have throughout, you know, such as the artwork. And then there's another where she's playing with this little skeleton toy that looks kind of like a day of the dead sugar skull type of thing. I just... I'm always impressed with the things that are in his films that you go, that is such a Rob Zombie it, thing. It makes you wonder, like, did he ask someone to build that? Did he have the idea? Or did he just find that cool shit somewhere? Yeah. <clears throat> and one that you had brought up that is neat. It's in her bedroom. That It's like a like a decal of the moon with Oh, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's from A Trip to the Moon. It's a very, very old film. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, 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 like I that. love it. Me and London actually talked about that uh, for a while. I was like, man, we should find that sometime and put that in there yeah it's the one of the moon with the face on it but it's got like a rocket sticking out of one eye where they crashed into it i guess yeah it's very very cool i love that artwork but uh anyway so another scene that i thought looked really good and it's going to sound probably a little fucked up that i think it looked pretty good um the execution scene oh yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah when and it's kind of the whole scene when they're putting her in the chair and you can clearly tell that it's it's being probably done on a set, right? Because the only the only place where there's light and color is right there where they are. And it's pitch black all around them. Um, so it makes it feel you can you get a sense of how isolated the witches are in that moment. You know, completely cut off from escape or whatever. And of course, most they're all burning except for Meg Foster's character. But the scene where she's in the chair and it zooms in on her face when they put the metal mask on her, and it's not just the the shot itself. It's a combination of the scene, the props, the lighting, and the look in her eyes when they close that mask. Mm-hmm. It's fear. And I feel like that's a really... But at the same time, she's laughing. She is. Yeah. She knows she's about to burn, but mm-hmm. she's laughing because she's going to she's gonna have the last laugh. <laughs> right. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just feel like that was, it was, I, I don't know. I was impressed by that. Yeah. So anyway, all right. Score. I made it a point this time for you to pay attention because this is probably one of my favorite current scores from a horror film. So did you, in fact, pay attention this time? I did. Sort of. (laughs) I like, I guess I'll call it Heidi's theme. The one they usually play while she's walking her dog or whatever. Okay. Um, You you had it as a ringtone on your phone. Those are two two different ones. Um, the one I have is mainly the witch's theme, and, and that's why it's called Three Sisters. Oh, I don't know. But yes, for a long time it was, and and they play it during the end credits. You know when they start showing yeah, the cast. Um, yeah, that was a, the ringtone on my phone for a while. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I like it. And then, okay, well, if that's not the one they were playing while she was walking, there's one they're playing while she's walking the dog. Mm-hmm. And I know I which one it. you mean. I feel like it, I feel like it fit the scene. It, it was good. It didn't overpower the scene um, or take anything away from it. It just sort of set kind of a melancholy feel. Yes. You yes. Know, where she's, maybe she's lonely. I'm reading way too much into this. And it's just her and her dog. You know, she's, she's obviously going through uh, recovery from addiction or trying to recover. And... Doing the best she can. I don't know. It, it made it. It made the scene feel lonely. Mm-hmm. That's the best way I can describe it. Um, outside of that, the soundtrack itself, like the actual music, I'm not a huge fan of Velvet Underground. So uh, I'm picking up my sandal. About I, I fucking love. You ain't Crocodile Dundee either. I love Velvet Underground so much. I know I, you do. I'm I just also, not a huge fan. I also have <laughs> the films, the songs used in this film on my phone as well. Yes, you do. <laughs> We've heard them many times. And, you know, we'd be remiss not to mention the actual Lord's theme, the the bit of music that this whole film is, you know, revolves around. So I remember thinking that that was the coolest fucking bit of music I had ever heard. And Travis and Aiden and Isabel were all like, oh, God, that gives me a headache. It, like, don't. Why are you always playing that all the time? And then it got to the end where Isabel was like, oh, I love this. <laughs> well, apparently making you feel weird and giving you a headache was the intended effect. Uh-huh. But it's... So as a piece of music in the movie, it serves its purpose. It is an ominous, creepy mm-hmm. piece of music. But so is Count Olaf's music or whatever. <laughs> what? Count Gorgon. Remember, the one they're listening to at the beginning. <laughs> Count Olaf. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Carrey? Yeah, him too. <laughs> I still feel like the guy that played Breaker in Demon Knight would have been awesome in that role. <laughs> yeah, but that's only because you've seen him play Death. <laughs> Death would have been awesome in that role. It melvined me. Oh, shit. Uh, but no, I, yeah, I mean, it was good. It was a good score. John 5 did a good job. Um, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It, it was a very atmospheric, moody uh, melancholy score and for that reason I enjoyed it very much I felt like and they could have used a filter in the scenes that were shot in Salem maybe they messed with the color palette to make it look as gloomy and, and rainy as it did that is always the way I have Salem pictured in my mind so I don't know if it you know they have bright sunny days like we do here but I like to imagine that Salem is like going to Washington or something where it's that very rainy wet looking so thing. Fun, fun thing about the other parts of the United States 
there are other places in the lower 48 that do have weather and clouds. Um, they're not all like Texas, where you get 475 days of summer. <laughs> I'm aware that there are only 365 days in a year. Uh, but we have more than you. So <laughs> we have more summer than you. So I don't know. It could be. But I it feel like be. the score aided in that aesthetic a lot. So I was, I, I was very happy with it. I appreciate it when a score adds to the scene and doesn't take away from it or distract you. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, was it Halloween 5 that had the, the, the Keystone Cops mm-hmm. or whatever? Mm-hmm. Where every time the cops are on scene, they're playing this fucking clown music. And it's right. like, I'm supposed to be scared right now. I don't know who chose that music. And I understand that maybe it's appropriate because these guys are morons, but you don't have to save that music for killer clowns from out of spa- outer space. You don't put it in a Halloween movie. Right. Um, so, yeah. Now, I actually did notice the score, and I approve. There you go. Yay. Rob, fucking time. I approve. <laughs> All right. I guess we should start get, uh, wrapping up here. So, okay. Travis, I-, I need help, so I'm going to let you go first. <laughs> quote, kill and scene. Okay. Favorite quote is Ken Forey. If there is a movie and Ken Forey's in it, my favorite quote will almost always come from him. <laughs> I'm Joe Grizzly, bitch. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's actually pretty good. You better be gone before I get done dropping this load. <laughs> um, no, where they're, they're leaving the radio station after they've been, I guess they went off air and drank a bunch of tequila. Um, but he's like, I had to get home to the warden before I could, because if I get another DWS. Before I rack up another DWS. DWS. And they're like, don't you mean DWI? And he's like, no, DWS, driving while sexy. <laughs> that was my that was my favorite quote. And he's the only person that probably could say that and get away with it. If it's right. anybody else, you'd be like, shut the fuck up. Right. But Ken Forey says it, and you're like, yeah, I got you. <laughs> I accept that. Yeah, he's like Shaft. Um, kill, kill's tough. I want to say Whitey. Just because I didn't expect it. Whitey didn't die. In her dream, he did. Yes, but he didn't die. I understand that in real life, die. he didn't. <laughs> but in her dream, it was a kill. Okay. Um, but on a technicality, no, technically he did not die. But I feel like it looked really good, and it was so unexpected. I didn't, I didn't expect right. him to die. Honestly, when he, when she looks up and sees those doctor things behind him, I figured they were going to come for her. Mm-hmm. But. Kill-wise, I think I have to go with Bruce Davison's character. And it's got nothing to do with him. It's everything to do with uh, Sonny killing him with that damn frying pan. Mm Because she gives no shits. And then she has a cigarette. (laughs) Yeah. She's just a straight badass in that scene. (sighs) Favorite scene? Favorite scene's kind of tough. I know which one yours is. I'm not going to steal it. (sighs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. There were a lot of scenes that looked good, but there wasn't one necessarily that jumped out. And I was like, oh, my God, that's awesome. Like, I like the the red room, you know, with the cross in it. Uh, there's obviously the scene that I'm sure you're going to pick <clears throat> that's really interesting. It's just it's really unexpected, uh, I think. If it's if you pick the one, I think you're going to. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm going to go with the red cross in the room. Okay. As my favorite scene. Just because I don't want to steal the one I think you're going to pick. Okay. But yeah, I think that's it for me. Okay. Okay, I'm done. Okay. Your turn. <laughs> um, I had a hard time with quote because I don't think that there there's not really any room for lightheartedness in this film. I mean, even with Herman, the Hermans, and they have a lot of lines that I think are intended to be funny or quotable, but I just didn't get that. 
Um, like, like the, the only one that I would have slightly maybe picked from Whitey would have been like, are you calling my Grammy a whore? She was a product of the depression. Like that's a little, it's a little funny, but it's not something I'm ever going to walk around this house quoting, you know, like it came from Scream or something. Um, so that being said, if I was going to pick a quote, I think I'm just going to go with why the goat, because that is one that kind of comes up more often throughout the film, you know, so much that at one point she's wearing it on a shirt. Yeah. And when you I had, I didn't see it until the second time we watched it mm-hmm. when she asks uh, Count Olaf, why the goat? <laughs> Yeah. And then there's a scene later where he's wearing the shirt that says, mm-hmm. why the goat? And I actually thought you would probably pick that scene as your favorite. And it's, that's a weird scene. He's like dry humping her and sticking his tongue in her ear. There's like these demonic priests like while jerking she, off with red dildos. Yeah, while she's riding a goat. <laughs> Not like riding a goat, but like you'd ride a miniature pony riding a goat. Mechanical um, bull. Yeah, not in a kinky Kelly kind of way. <laughs> um, but... You're right, and I didn't <coughs> didn't really think about it till you just said it. It's not for they've there's some clever dialogue in there, but really most of Rob Zombie's movies are not highly quotable. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got some clever dialogue and some stuff you kind of giggle at, but it's not like an Arnold "I'll be back." You know, mm-hmm. where you get you don't you just don't get the one-liners like you do out of some films, which is odd because you'd think that the way he writes stuff, you would get more of that. Okay, if you are done interrupting me, I'm done sir, interrupting um, you. <laughs> I'm going to do it again. I'm a repeat offender. <laughs> So my kill and scene are actually going to be the same. It took me a while to come up with this. Um, Actually, it didn't. I had to come up with it on the fly. But I was thinking about it while Travis was talking. And (laughs) I decided, I honestly don't know if I care if anyone agrees with me on this or not. Because in my mind, it is a kill. And that's going to be Heidi. Because... You know something bad is going to happen to her, and I'm sure somebody out there is going, well, you don't know what happened to her. I feel like the way we end up with her in that final scene, she's dead. She's very dead. She obviously died in childbirth. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of fucking blood, and I have given birth before. You lose a lot of blood, but not that much. Um that's and it it plays into my favorite scene so i'm just going to talk about the whole thing that shot of her is being the anti-virgin mary standing very pious and regal on top of that pile of dead naked women is fucking amazing i love her god don't you do it don't you do it i'm talking (laughs) those contacts and the outfit and the lighting behind her it is so 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 beautiful and so yeah that i i will never forget the first time i watched that scene feeling like i like i legitimately was seeing a piece of art and that is something sorry i'm fucked up i would hang that up somewhere i fucking love it so now you may speak no <laughs> thank you mistress <laughs> No, I just, I ne- when you said she's like the, the opposite of Mary, the anti-Mary, I never put that together. Really? I Yeah. Not until just now when you said it. That wow. she's supposed, she's like the opposite of, of the, the Virgin, Virgin Mary. Mary. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very cool. Um, speaking of the Virgin Mary, uh, I meant to talk about this a few minutes ago when we were talking about visual effects and um, special effects and makeup and whatnot. The tattoo work that was done on her also actually inspired me. Um, I haven't gotten it yet, but I legit have plans to get one of those 
there's a name for it and please don't come after me with my whole you know you're not a real latina and whatever um but those like biblical hearts you know that usually have like uh fire and crown of thorns around them or whatever she has something very similar to that on her chest but it's like skulls and stuff i want to get one of those tattoos on my chest so bad like it I have, uh, I'm a Pinterest junkie, so I have pinned a bunch of those, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so just wanted to throw that random bit of out there. <laughs> All right, so I guess it's time for Mary Fuck or Kill. You go first. Me? Yeah. Uh, this... You're the one getting the titty tattoos, so. <laughs> uh, this is a Mary, absolutely a Mary. Really? Yes, this is one I do keep in regular rotation. Like watch it on repeat? I have before, yes. That's I have so weird. I had a day literally where I just put this movie on repeat as background noise for the entire day. Um huh. this is this is one of those films that I couldn't imagine not ever watching again. That's how much I love it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm not gonna marry it. I didn't think so. <laughs> but I might fuck around with it. Okay. It's it's good enough that I'd watch it again. Okay. Uh, it's probably one that I need some distance in between watches. You know what I mean? It's I not like I'm going to watch it every week kind of thing. Yeah. You need to spread it out a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, it's good enough. There's enough stuff that in there that interests me. The only the only thing I wish is that, that it was a little bit more, maybe nuanced is not the word. You know how some movies, like you watch them, they, they have a high rewatch value because you see something different or you find something different every time. I don't feel like this is that movie. <laughs> There's nothing hidden in there, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I would need to spread the watches out. Otherwise, it would just get like, yeah, seen it. I would recommend to you, um, maybe we could do a password share or something. But, you know, you, you've got that commute to work all the time. I would suggest maybe if you have time reading the book. Yeah, I'd be down for a book. Yeah. Because oh, if you're listening to it, that's not reading. Oh, my God. Let's not have that argument again. <laughs> listening to the radio is not reading a book. <laughs> so, final thoughts? Um, I'm going to say that this is a movie that's not for everybody, obviously. Um, I would say that if you are a fan of film, cinematography, um, that I would still go into this knowing that it's still not going to be an Oscar winner, but if you want to watch some cool visuals, um, but also if you're kind of like I was talking about earlier, if you're kind of a fan of that era of seventies exploitation slash satanic panic, um, this would be a good one to put on with like the exorcist and the omen and Rosemary's baby kind of in that, in that era, I think. I mean, and I'm going to have somebody for sure say, no, the fuck it's not. In my opinion, it, it is, it's, it complements those films well. Um, but it's not going to be for every sensibility that's out there. Um, but I would say if, if you don't want to watch it just on the grounds that it's a Rob Zombie film, I would say give it a chance because it really isn't like his other films. It's it's an entirely different flavor. Yeah, it's a lot more restrained than his other films. His other films were, huh? well, I think you said it earlier, they were music videos. Right. Basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not that. No, I feel like this is much more mature than those other films. It's it's dialogue you can sit through without there being an F word every other word or the most distasteful, disgusting way of talking that you've ever heard. Um, it, it, I think it shows a lot of restraint and a lot of growth. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it's a watch. Yeah, if you've watched um, his other entries and were disappointed with those, as I was... This is a this is a good departure mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. from what you've seen of Rob Zombie in the past. 
And honestly, I would like to see more of this, if he could do more of this, expand on this, take this as a learning experience and move forward with it. Uh, but then he went and made Three from Hell in the Munsters. So <laughs> I don't know. He's going to just do what he wants to do, and I can respect that. But I can if do. you haven't seen it, it's worth a watch just because it's such a departure from what you've seen from him in his other films. Yeah, but yeah, watch it. I, I suggest watch it. So um, that, is, that is going to conclude our hashtag for London series. Uh, we're doing things a little bit differently this go around where in the past, um, you know, we would do four episodes a month and then do a pillow talk. Um, with our schedules the way they are now, we decided three episodes a month and a pillow talk. That way that gives us a lot more time to put more effort and not feel so under the gun and, you know, um, not so much crunch time as we were having before. So next week we are going to be doing our monthly episode of Pillow Talk. And this month we are going to be talking toxic family, toxic people, toxicity in general. Um, that's a that's a big topic for me right now. And I've, I've been reading on it here lately. So if you have any questions related to the subject, please let Travis or I know if you have any questions on the subject. Um, and then we will be moving on into October. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Um, and the next film we will be covering is going to be Trick or Treat. So I'm looking for forward it. to that. I like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, thank you as always for, for being here, putting up with us, listening. Hopefully uh, you had a good time. But until next week, I'm Ashley. And I'm Travis. Thank you for listening to another episode of Dead and Married. Take care, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Dead and Married. A very special thank you to our patrons, William and Zena Rush of Original Cinematic, Gary Horton, Carissa, Kate Lamp, Karima Rhodes, Kent Morton, Lala Tamez, Renee Hunter-Vazquez, John Paul Vazquez, and Travis Hunter of Podmortem, and another special thank you to Alana Miller for composing our theme. You can find Alana's channel, Alana Lama, on YouTube. If you would like to support our show, consider rating and reviewing us or go to patreon.com slash deadandmarried to find out how. Lastly, be sure to check us out on X and Instagram at SpookyMom83 and TravisL80 as well as our official page. And thank you again for your support.